Okay, so our sermon today comes from a couple of verses in, in Hebrews. Um, you know, when Pastor Bob said he was going out of town and needed somebody to stand in for him, I, I agreed to do it. And the first thing that popped in my mind was, is, man, that's, that's really outside my comfort zone, right? You know, it's like, man, I'm just not used to doing that kind of thing. But then I kind of caught myself and I said, well, you know, I said, our church is our comfort zone, right? You know, this is... We're with like-minded people, we're with other believers, we're with our church family, so it's really not outside of our comfort zone, it is our comfort zone. And I, and I hope that our church is a comfort zone where you can talk to others, and if you have any kind of issues, you can you have somebody that you're comfortable with to talk about to, to help you. So I uh, thought that was kind of funny. So let's, let's read these two verses. If you would stand with me and we'll read these two verses. I don't go through as many verses as Pastor Bob does, but we'll go through these two. Therefore, he is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, insomuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. Lord, be with us today. Be with the message and the messenger, Lord. May it be what you want us to, to hear and bless our, our, our meeting here together. And may it please you. In thy name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Have so you ever seen this guy on TV? Yeah, he's on a billboard. That's right. There's one. He's on a billboard, on an electronic billboard right on the other side of 17 out here. Near Wilmington Health, you'll see his f- face plastered there. You'll see him on TV. You might even see him on the cover of a phone book or something. Okay? So this is a local lawyer. This is Clark Speaks, right? But his slogan that he's got in his advertisement is, Who Speaks for You? Right? So he wants to speak for you. He wants to be your mediator with a, a personal injury case or something like that, and then you write him a check. Okay? But... I saw that and I said, that's his, that's his slogan. I mean, I guess it's just kind of a play on his last name, right? But he's wanting to speak for you in, in, in court. And as Christians, we have another who speaks for us, and that's Jesus, okay? And we're going to look a little bit deeper into to, to that this, this week, okay? So this past spring, our men's group studied all 13 chapters in the in the book of Hebrews. And this is really the first time I had actually gone through Hebrews in that, that great a detail. And some of the verses that we went through there, I, I think that, uh, I think Jeffrey was the one who, who taught chapter 7. Um, but one of the, the verses that stood out to me was is that how God intercedes for us. And I thought that was quite amazing. I, I guess in the past I just kind of brushed over it. But today I wanted to just kind of look at a little bit deeper and uh, to those two verses that we've got. So just to kind of give you some context, you know, Hebrews was written by an unspecified author. There's a lot of discussion about who they think the author is, but it was really kind of unspecified. But we know that the, the audience of the book of Hebrews is the, are the, the converted Jews that were part of the early church. And they were being persecuted. And they were wavering in their faith in Christ because of the persecution that they were facing. 
And the main theme of, of Hebrews is, is that Jesus is better. He, the author's trying to tell everybody Jesus is better. Okay? Jesus is better than the old Mosaic law. Jesus is better than burnt sacrifices. Okay? So that's what the, the author of Hebrews is trying to, to, to give to them. Um, so in these two verses that we're looking at, um, it talks about a better covenant. Okay, so if there's a better covenant, if, if, if Jesus is talking about a better covenant, then there's an old one. Okay, and, the, and the, these early Christians were considering going back to Judaism, going back to the old Mosaic law, to the old sacrifices and that type of thing. So this book here illustrates that it encourages them to stick with Jesus, okay? And to, even though it might, they might be persecuted, it's better. So the old covenant was the old Mosaic law, all right? And when you think about the old covenant, there was the high priest. And once a year, he would go into the Holy Holies and he would offer a sacrifice, okay? And so the link between Israel and God at that particular time in the old covenant was through one high priest, once a year. And so that was the relationship that was in the Old Covenant. And what the, the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell them is, is that the New Covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ is better. It's a better covenant. Okay, don't go back to the old ways where you're, you're offering sacrifices. You want to look forward to the New Covenant, which where Jesus is our mediator. And that's what we're going to talk about today is what how uh, Jesus mediates for us in this new covenant, okay? All right. So there's two key words in these scriptures, and I looked them up in the dictionary here just to kind of give us a definition of them, okay? So the, 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 the word in the first verse was intercession, and the one in the second was mediator, okay? So intercession is to intervene between parties with a view to reconciling differences. And it also has an, a, another meaning, a prayer petition in favor of another, and the mediator is one who intervene, intervenes between conflicting parties to, to promote reconciliation. Okay? So in these verses, it's saying that Jesus is our, he intercedes for us, but he's also our mediator. And they're basically kind of the same thing. Okay? So what are we trying to, so, so what are these verses trying to tell us? Okay? So, so based on our scriptures for today, I've got some questions I want to ask you. Okay? So, who is the mediator? Okay, there's no trick questions here. So, who in our verses, who's the mediator? Jesus, Jesus right? He he intercedes for us. So, who are the conflicting parties? Okay, God and man. Okay, so what's the what's the conflict? Sin. Sin. That's right. Sin in our lives. Okay, he can't have anything to do with it. So as specified in, this, in these verses, who does, the, who does the mediator intercede for? Believers. Okay, he, he intercedes for those who believe in him. Okay. Verse 75, verse 7, chapter 7, verse 25 says, he intercedes for those who come to God through him. He intercedes for believers in Christ. And kind of the flip side of that, who does the mediator not intercede for? Non-believers, or in another verse, it's listed as the world. 
in John 17, verse 9, while Jesus was praying for his disciples, said, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those who have, for, that you have given me. Okay. So that's kind of the flip side to it is, is that non-believers do not have the benefit of Jesus mediating between us and God or interceding for us. Um, so that's, that's something that I wanted to kind of go into. That verse kind of popped out to me while we were going through Hebrews, and I wanted to kind of dig into it a little bit different. Okay. So I'm going to show you, don't be shocked by this picture I'm going to show you, but a few years ago, my brother told me about a pastor named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he was a medical pastor and an evangelist in England who was a pastor of Westminster Chapel in London for over 30 years. Okay. Now the interesting thing about Dr. Jones is he would literally spend years preaching on one book of the Bible. Okay. Now, here at our church, you know, Pastor Bob goes through Genesis. It takes a long time to go through Genesis. We go through Revelations, right? But this guy was like Pastor Bob on steroids, okay? <laughs> this guy, he actually preached 262 sermons just on the book of John, okay? And he's got similar series on Ephesians and all these other books and stuff like that. He's he, he preached over a thousand sermons in his, in his lifetime, but one of the one of the things I I've been doing is as, as I download books on my Kindle. Okay, that's that's how I read books. I don't normally buy hardcover books. I buy it on my Kindle. Okay, so I downloaded some books from Doctor Jones on my on my Kindle and started reading them. And I'd read one, read one sermon, read the next one, read the next one. I just keep reading. I'm twelve or thirteen sermons into this thing. And I realized he's on the same verse. He's on the same, <laughs> he's preaching on the same verse 12, 15 times. And so I thought that was interesting. But one of the, one of the chapters that he, he stuck with, or like one of his go-to chapter was chapter 17. And in that chapter, there is a prayer that Jesus made to God for his believers. So when we're talking about him interceding for us, we kind of have an example of what he would preach, what he would pray for us on our behalf. And we're just going to take a look at that. It comes from chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. Now, I know this is an eye chart, but I'm going to read it for you anyway. So, so I do not pray for these alone, because his previous, prayer, his previous prayer in that book was to his disciples. Okay. So he's saying, I do not pray for these alone, which is, is his disciples, but also for, all, for those who will believe in me through their word. And they are all, and they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, 
that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me from the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. So this kind of gives us an example of some of the intercessory prayer that Jesus would pray on our behalf. So if you look at verse 24, for example, Jesus specifically prays to God that his believers will be gathered to him in heaven. So that's one thing that God, uh, Jesus wants his believers to be with him. So when we leave this world and we believe in Christ, we're going to end up being with him. Verse 26 says, Jesus prays that the same love of God that was with, that was with him might... He prays that the same love of God that was his strength might also fill his believers. So he was on earth at this time when he was praying, but he, he knew that his source of strength was through God, and then he wanted his believers to have that same strength that he had gotten from his Father. So you can kind of see here that the, there's many things that he prayed for, but I think this is just something that's special it's just something that kind of hit me is that God does this, but he doesn't, I'm sorry, Jesus does this, but he does not ask to be do it, to do it, okay? He does this on our behalf because he wants to do it, because he loves us. We don't ask for this. We, I, I obviously pray to him, but we, he intercedes for us um, for, um, for us to God, Okay? There's a couple other verses that we can look at in Romans, Romans chapter 8, 27 and 28. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So what this tells me is, is that as he is praying for us, as he is interceding for us, his goal is for what is good for us according to the will of God. He's praying that all things work together for good for those who love God. So even though what we pray for may not exactly happen the way that we want it to, when Jesus intercedes on our behalf to the Father, he asks for all that's good for us. And that's why he does that. So he doesn't, he doesn't do this because we ask him to. It's because he loves us. Okay? So I wanted to kind of go through. I, I kind of had a question. And this kind of reflects him back in my life. And there's some things that have happened in my life that, that kind of point to this question about whether if everything that happens to us is a coincidence or if it's Jesus leading us, right? And so based on the scripture that we've read today, I believe that there really aren't any consequences, okay? Coincidence, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> coincidence, right? There's consequences and coincidence, but there's, there's no, there's a, 
no coincidences. Because I can, see, I can see God's fingerprint in my life from the time I was saved when I was 16 up until today. And I'm going to tell you a story, okay? And you're going to be one of the privileged few that gets to hear this story, okay? But it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of funny, but it, it, it kind of illustrates the fact. What this illustrates is, is that you're really not in control of what your life is, okay? God, if you're a Christian, God's going to steer you in different paths, and you might end up where you don't even realize that you're going, okay? But here's the story anyway, okay? So there's no extra charge to hear this story, okay? I've got a million of them, but I, here's, just, here's just one of them, okay? So this is how I feel that the Lord intervened to help me meet my wife, Vicki, okay? So when I graduated from college in 1982, my goal was to go in the Army, okay? And part of the process of going in the Army, you fill out a dream sheet, okay? I don't know what kind of form it's called, but it's a, it's a dream sheet. And you tell the Army, where do, you, where do you want to go? Where do you want to serve? Where do you want to be stationed, okay? So I had just completed airborne school, so I was all young and full of vigor and wanted to jump out of airplanes and stuff. So I put my first, I put my first choice as Fort Bragg, okay? My second choice was Germany, and if I'm not mistaken, I think my third, my third choice was Italy, okay? So back then, this is 82 now, remember this. We, we had a lot of folks over in Germany, so that was a normal rotation as going to Germany. Okay, so here's my dream sheet. Fort Bragg, Germany, Italy, okay? So the Army sent me to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, okay? All right, so that's the first coincidence, okay? So out of all the places they could send me, they weren't even the three I asked for, they sent me to Fort Campbell, okay? So I'm going to Fort Campbell, all right. So when I arrived at Fort Campbell, I went to my assignment officer and I said, okay, where am I going to be assigned to? They said, well, we're, at, at this particular time, we're assigning guys like me and my specialty to infantry battalions. There's nine infantry battalions in the, in the 101st Airborne. Okay, all right. So I just happened to be talking to them and I could have gone to either, I could have gone to any one of them. Okay. But I was talking to some of the guys, and I knew one of the battalions in the 101st was going to the Sinai as part of the multinational force and observers. It was like, this was really kind of new. This was kind of like the peace treaty between the Israelis and the Egyptians. They put forces they, in, in the uh, Sinai, and they would observe things and try to make sure that there was a buffer between the countries and there was nothing funny going on, okay? So I just asked the guy, I said, well, what about one of these units that goes to the Sinai. I said, sure, you can go there. So there we go. So out of all the Army bases, I went to Fort Campbell. Out of all of the, infantry, of the nine infantry battalions, I went to the one that's going to the Sinai. Okay, well, good. All right. So this is, 80, this is 1982, all right? So while I'm assigned there, my unit deploys to Panama. Okay, we go on a three-week exercise down in Panama. We're down in the jungle. We're doing our thing, right? 
So one night, our battalion chaplain thought it would be hilarious to capture a sloth. Two-toed, three-toed, I don't know how many toes it had, but it was a sloth. You know, you've seen them, right? I should have put a picture up here. Okay. But he decides he's going to throw a sloth in a footlocker and bring it in battalion headquarters and display the sloth in battalion headquarters. Okay. All right. That's all funny, right? Because they put they strung combo wire and the stick out there for him to hang on and gave him a thing of water and all that kind of stuff. And so they all laughed about it. And I always worked the night shift. So here's this sloth outside the, the headquarters. And then they all they all disappear. And so they expect myself on the night shift and the NCOs that are there to be kind of like amateur zookeepers and keep track of the sloth, right? Okay. They thought it was funny. I didn't think it was funny because he didn't stay there all night. He was slow, but he could move around and stuff. I didn't know what I was going to have to tackle a sloth and stuff like that. It's, it's totally bizarre. I, I, soldiers do some of the stupidest things, but that's how we get through life is laugh about stuff, right? Okay. So enough about the sloth. So we come back to the United States. Okay. So each each month we have an officer call and during officer call we have this award called the rusty bayonet which is given to the person that does the stupidest thing in the past since the last thing right and you nominate that person and they vote on the person and they give them the award so they get this whole rusty looking ugly thing right so I thought it would be funny if I nominated the chaplain for bringing the sloth in Okay, so I'll go through this whole story that what you just heard, right? Everybody's laughing and everything. Okay, so I think he actually won it based on my nomination, which is, which is great. Okay. So after that, one of the fellow officers and his wife that was in, at the officer call thought I was funny, thought I was some kind of a comedian, okay? And so when his wife's sister came to Fort Campbell, she was joking around and said she wanted to be fixed up with one of those lieutenants. Okay. Well, they did, and they fixed her up with me. Okay. And that officer's wife used, was, was, was Vicky's sister, Kim. So I didn't know I was going to be meeting my future brother, you know, a brother-in-law and sister-in-law, much, much less my wife. So we met on a blind date Okay, they're at Fort Campbell. And a few months later, we were engaged, and then I went to the Sinai and got back in January, and we were married in February, and almost 40 years later, here we are. Okay? So I'm not a mathematician, okay? But think about it. Okay? Think about the probability of me, I could go anywhere in the world, being sent to Fort Campbell, could go to one of nine infantry battalions. I go to, to the, the one that, was, that my, my brother-in-law Jimmy was, was assigned to. Go there and meet her. And then we hit it right off, and then 40 years later, here it is. Okay. So she was at a point in her life where she had just graduated from college, or she was fixing to. She, she actually didn't finish until after while I was in the Sinai, okay? But basically, when I got back, she had graduated from college and 
got back in January, got married in February, and then we moved to Fort Campbell. Okay. So she was at a point in her life where she was ready to, to move on. And I had no idea the year before I, that I would be getting married, but the thing was, it was great. And it was, I was married, I ended up marrying who I was supposed to be married to. Okay. So I know, I know there's a lot of people in my life that had been praying for me my entire life. I had a really godly grandmother and my aunt and my mom. And so I know that there was people that were, that were praying to God for his will in my life. And I think this is just an example of how God helped me get to where he wanted me to be. Okay. Because I'm, you know, I'm kind of an old guy, so the thing is, I got a lot of stories in my rearview mirror, okay? But if you look further at it, if Vicki and I hadn't decided to move to Wilmington in 2000, right, then Philip and Brian would have never gone to Wilmington Christian Academy, and Philip would have never met Amanda. And then Amanda and the girls, you know, that their family would be would, would be different, and my and my youngest son would be the same way. Okay. So when we moved to Leland in two thousand seven, that was just kind of I got back from Iraq. We decided we we're going to move to to Leland. Okay. I just happened to meet Pastor Bob at the bank. Okay. I had to sign some papers, and I went there that day with a pen that I had gotten from Reach Church. I don't, never, I don't even know where this pen is, or where. It, but the thing was, I just went to sign the papers in Bob's office and had that reach pen. And then he started talking about church. Okay, I didn't know. I didn't know Bob. Okay, why did I pick that pen? Why was it Bob that helped me at the bank? Okay, so in my mind, there's there's very few coincidences, okay? So as a, as a Christian, I believe that whatever happens to me is, is God's will, okay? When I was in Iraq, it's a very dangerous place, okay? But I didn't sweat it, okay? I wasn't hunkered down in, in, in fear because I knew that whatever God had planned for me, that's what was going to happen, okay? So... There's just so many examples. I just gave you just a few of them and stuff like that. But, you know, as, as a believer, when you've got the creator of the universe praying to God the Father on your behalf, that's, that's a tremendous blessing, okay? And I, I, know, I know that the things that have, have happened to me or the paths that I've taken myself down, down the years has been leaded by the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just thought that the, the mathematical improbability that I would meet Vicky is something that would illustrate the fact that it, only, it, it could have only been through God because there's just no other way to do it. There's no other way to explain it. Okay? So in conclusion today, I wanted to just say that Jesus intercedes for, for us, okay, on behalf of his believers. And I actually feel sorry for non-believers because they don't have that, okay? This is a crazy world out here. And if there was ever a time where people needed 
a cheerleader, somebody to, to, to pray for them on their behalf is now, okay? And they, they kind of use the yo-yo principle, okay? You're on your own, okay? Whatever you end up doing is pretty much what you decide to do. And I can tell you for a fact that the, the things that I have, that the reason I'm standing here today is not because of what Phil thought was right, it's because of the way God lead us. And also he works, he, he prays the best for us, okay? He wants the best. It may not be exactly what we expect it to be, but it is, when he prays, he prays for the best of us. And it's what a tremendous blessing that God, that Jesus speaks for us, okay? It's just, these are the verses that kind of popped out to me during the men's Bible study. And um, it is, um, it's just something that, that kind of popped in my mind that I really need to kind of, as I was speaking to you today, that I need to dig more into it. So, you know, f- folks, if here in the building or if you're online, being a believer in, in Jesus is, it's, that's all there is. That's, that's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And if you are a believer in Christ, that he is gonna, he's going to pray for you. He's going to wish the best for you to his Father. And that is something that is, that is a great blessing, and we, we need to be thankful for it.